the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Jesus says the condition of the culture in the days of Noah, very self-centered, very wicked, very corrupt, very violent. They were living life business as usual. Now think about our own day. We can all testify to the fact that over our own lifetime, we've seen our culture, our world become more wicked, more corrupt, more violent. There seems to be more of an emphasis on me, myself, and I than it does the reality of one's own spiritual condition. And Jesus says it's going to be just like that as it was in the days of Noah prior to my second coming. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Genesis. Jesus told his disciples that just as the days of Noah were extremely wicked, so too will the world become right before his second coming. Pastor Gary will be encouraging us to live our lives as though Jesus could return imminently. The apostles lived this way as well. They believed Jesus could return at any moment, and their behavior and lifestyle proved they truly believed this. Does your lifestyle reveal that you believe in Jesus' imminent return back to earth? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, Lessons from the Flood. Chapter 6, verse 3, when God says, My spirit will not always contend with man, for he is mortal. His day shall be 120. That is not a statement of longevity of life. That is a statement about how long people have been forewarned between when God announces his judgment until the flood actually comes. It'll be 120 years, which is why most Bible scholars believe that's how long it took Noah to actually build the ark, 120 years. So you got God waiting 1,600 years. He forewarns the people 120 years. Peter tells us in 2 Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So now God's raising up Noah to be preaching the good news of how they can be rescued. And Noah's building a big boat in his backyard. You would think people would wake up. How much longer does God have to wait? There's a tipping point with God. Now, the beauty, though, in God exercising his justice here in punishing and in destroying a wicked people, is that, here's the interesting thing, the first time the word grace appears in the Bible is in the midst of this story. It's chapter 6, verse 8. Look at it with me. Because here's the good news. In all of God's justice, His grace is ever-present and flowing. 
And we need to remember that in the midst of our wicked, sinful state, if we will turn to the Lord, He's gracious to us. Look here, chapter 6, verse 8. It says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Circle the word favor. If you have a King James Bible, it translates it grace. In fact, that's the way the Hebrew actually is translated. It's the word grace. First time the word grace appears in all of the Bible. And it's in the midst of this story. That Noah found favor, found grace with God. And that's why also in verse 9 we read that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Now the question becomes, did God select Noah because he was righteous, or did Noah become righteous because God selected him? I mean, it's the idea of grace is in verse 8, and then his blameless state, and then he walked with God is in verse 9. So did he walk with God because God poured out his grace, or did God pour out his grace and that's why he walked with God? Well, the answer to those questions is yes. (laughs) I mean, it's both. Listen. God's grace is ever flowing when we don't deserve it, when we don't deserve it, when we're oblivious to it. God is gracious to us. But in addition to that, we expose ourselves to a greater measure of his grace if we would walk with him, if we would be in fellowship with him. That's why John in his gospel, John 1, 16 says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. In fact, another translation says, for of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. That God is a gracious God. What he wants from us is to turn from our wickedness and our sinfulness and our rebellion and turn towards him. But we get showered with his grace when we don't deserve it. We get the abundance of his grace when we walk with him because now we're in closer proximity to the goodness of his grace overflowing from his presence. Let me illustrate it to you this way. If if you've ever been to SeaWorld, you, you, you understand the illustration. You go to SeaWorld, and before they do the big show with Shamu, they, they let you know when you're walking into the outdoor theater there, there's the center section where you're going to get sprayed. You're going to get really wet. So if you don't want to sit, if you don't want to get really wet, don't sit in the center section. They kind of, they mark it off. You know, they hand out the ponchos and all this good stuff. Well, the reality is, if you sit anywhere, anywhere there, you might, in fact, get sprinkled because of the show as Shamu bounces around in the pool, Right? But if you really want to get soaked, you want front and center section. It's the same way, really, with God. In relation to him, there are times that we'll get sprinkled just because he's God, and he lavishes his grace upon us when we don't deserve it. But if you really want to get soaked with the grace of the Lord, sit at his feet, walk in fellowship with him, have relationship with him. And this is what happens here with Noah. Now, in addition to the reason, which is the wickedness, corruption, and violence of man, We have here the rescue from the flood because the Bible tells us that God calls Noah to build this massive sailing vessel, this ship that's basically going to just float on the turbulent waters of this storm when God unleashes the flood waters. And the dimensions of the ark are given to us in chapter 6, verse 15. It's 450 feet long, which is a football field and a half. It's 75 feet wide, which is half the width of a football field, 45 feet high, So it seems pretty long and narrow to us, but in fact, it actually was designed by God with better water displacement ratio than even modern sailing vessels. And the reason is because God designed it in such a way that it might withstand the turbulence of stormy waters. Dr. Henry Morris, when he did wave tank experimentation of a model using the ark, 
He would write, quote, both hydrodynamic calculations and laboratory wave tank model testing have demonstrated that the ark was so dimensioned as to be exceedingly stable in violent waters of the flood. And then, of course, the ark is a vessel that God uses to preserve not only the animal kingdom, but obviously this righteous family of eight, Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their wives. The New Testament tells us that as well. 1 Peter 3.20 says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved. Now, interesting bit of information in the story here of the building of the ark. I want you to notice chapter 6, verse 14, circle the word pitch, because God told Noah that he was to cover the inside and the outside of the ark with pitch. Uh, Pitch is basically a tarry substance, and it was very prevalent in the Middle East because the derivative of tar is oil. Oil is obviously a very uh, um, uh, precious commodity, and um, there's a glut of it in the Middle East. And pitch was used to waterproof the ark. The interesting thing about the word pitch is it is in the Hebrew kafar. Kafar translates 70 other times in the Old Testament to make atonement. It's always a word used in relation to the sacrificial system, except in this case. The word pitch is used to connote the idea of waterproofing this vessel, but it tells us something, doesn't it? It paints a picture, a typology, if you will, of Christ. How so? Because the ark was God's gracious provision to preserve a family in the midst of a wicked and depraved generation, to rescue them. In that sense, it was a vessel of atonement, if you will, to preserve this family in the midst of wickedness. It was God's gracious provision. In the same way, 1 John 2, 2 says that Christ is our atoning sacrifice, that he is for us God's gracious provision, that if we would put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can be saved from a wicked and sinful world. It's a beautiful typology there in the language of the Scripture where the word pitch is used to coat the inside and outside of the ark. Now, real quickly, in relation to the animal kingdom, because they also were rescued as part of this providential plan of God, how can this be? I mean, here's where skeptics will balk at the whole idea of Noah and the ark. And you mean, to be- you mean to tell me you want me to believe that pairs of animals, males and females, actually came and they sought out Noah and they climbed on board an ark? And how could the ark actually house that many animals? Well, the first point, you're going to have to just accept by faith that, in fact, God does do this as kind of a divine, miraculous thing where he moves the hearts of the animals to come and to seek out Noah and to make their way onto the ark. Remember, this is pre-flood, so it's, the animal kingdom is still domesticated. There's no ferocious animals. They're not carnivores. There still are herbivores at this particular time. But here's the reality in terms of mass and quantity. There are today an estimated 18,000 different animal species in the animal kingdom, 18,000. So obviously a pair of that would be 36,000. The average size, if you average the size of the animal kingdom, the average size is a sheep, the size of a sheep. You can get 36 sheep on one-third of the ark based on its dimensions. So the ark could certainly house that many animals. Now, in addition... Um, people ask me, well, what about the dinosaurs? And, and what happens with, you know, dinosaurs? Did they make it on the ark, the flood, the whole thing? Okay, look, first of all, real quickly on this subject. The fossil record of dinosaurs is strong evidence of a deluge because most dinosaurs have been preserved in sedimentary mud, fossilized as a result of a global flood. 
In addition, you can read all the scientific information about dinosaur fossils. They have mostly been discovered pursuing higher elevations and clustered together trying to escape, how about a flood, or it tells us also in geological evidence, paleontologists tell us, in fact, a great discovery was uh, uncovered last year in Alberta, Canada, what they consider to be the largest cemetery of dinosaur fossils in the world, and they're all huddled together in a lower plane, and even the scientific journals write about how it appears that they were as trying to escape a flood, and they ended up being encapsulated as a result of the sediment from a flood. So we have great biblical evidence and great scientific evidence that most of the dinosaurs died as a result of the flood. However, some were taken onto the ark because they were part of the animal kingdom at the time. Now, how can this be? The brontosaurus, the long neck, they, they grew up to a length of 90 feet. How can you get those onto the ark? Well, first of all, understand, when you average the size of all the dinosaurs, Dr. Ken Ham says the average size of the dinosaurs was the size of a small horse. But even if you look at something like a brontosaurus, it doesn't have to be the adult species. It could be a little tiny dino, right? <laughs> Take him onto the ark with you before he becomes a full-blown 90-foot-long long-necked brontosaurus. So anyway, it's very possible and probable that the dinosaurs ended up going onto the ark. Most of them died in the flood. But then what happens after the flood is, um, well, I'm going to get ahead of, ahead of myself. Let's go on to point number three. We'll talk about it there, the results of the flood. The results of the flood. Look at chapter 8, verse 18. Now let's start at verse, verse 21. Chapter 8, verse 21. Noah gets off the ark. He builds an altar to the Lord. In verse 20, the first time the word altar appears in the Bible, verse 21 says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Notice verse 22. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. This is the first biblical evidence of seasons. Before the flood, the Bible describes the climate of the world as a consistent tropical climate. It was preserved in a greenhouse effect because there was a vapor canopy that encased the humidity within the earth's atmosphere. There had never been rain before. The Bible says that when it rained, God broke the vapor canopy and the artesian wells under the surface of the ground burst forth, and that's what brought about the floodwaters. But before the flood, it was all the tropical climate. When dinosaurs, and there's great debate in the scientific community, were they cold-blooded or warm-blooded? Do you know that all scientific research up until 1970s, thereabouts, all were consistent to believe that dinosaurs were cold-blooded, which would be the reason why, when seasons now are the result of following the flood, that the dinosaur population that wasn't killed in the flood itself would not be able to adjust to the different climate changes as a result of seasonal changes. You know the reason why the scientific community only lately has decided that probably dinosaurs were warm-blooded is because they believe, those who believe in evolutionary theory, that birds were the descendants of prehistoric dinosaurs, and birds are warm-blooded, thus dinosaurs must have been warm-blooded. Anyhow, so that's one of the changes, seasons and climates. Here's another change. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. Notice this, the fear and dread. 
Before the flood, animals and mankind coexisted peacefully. They were domesticated. After the flood, fear and dread. It's the reason now why there are ferocious animals. It wasn't the case in the ark. Can you imagine what a bummer it would be if eight people climbed under the ark and all the animals ate them up? Well, that's, that wasn't the case then because all animals, like man, were herbivores. They weren't carnivores. They weren't ferocious until after the flood. And that's what we read there in the first couple of verses of chapter 9. And then also one other change, this one I like. Verse 3 of chapter 9 says, Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Yeah. Now you just don't have to eat salads. God says it's okay. Eat steaks. Eat burgers. Go to Chick-fil-A. Well, not today. (laughs) They're closed on Sunday. But now you can actually eat meat. Now, if some of you are vegetarians and you think, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the original design in the garden, God made them all vegetarians. They were herbivores. Okay, and that's true. But here in chapter 9, God changes things as a result of the flood. So go home, watch football, eat a good steak and a hamburger. But for those of you who want to be vegetarians, it's okay. You can still be vegetarians. It's fine. It's probably healthier for you. It's more boring, but it's probably healthier for you. (laughs) So it's all good. Finally, the last thing I want us to take a look at, the reminder about the flood. Go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Would you go to Matthew 24? I just want to point out to you something Jesus says here. We'll close with this. But this is an important passage of Scripture that we need to remember. And it has everything to do with the day in which we live. So please take note of this with me. Matthew, chapter 24, verse 36 through verse 39. Matthew 24, 36, Jesus said, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Now, please note with me, it wasn't that they didn't know for lack of information or warning, but it was that because they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, the idea here is that they were so caught up in personal pleasure, personal life, personal ambition, personal gain, it was all about self that Jesus said they were oblivious to, what, to when it actually came. But then Jesus adds at the end of verse 39, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, please make careful note to that warning. Jesus says the condition of the culture in the days of Noah, very self-centered, very wicked, very corrupt, very violent. They were living life business as usual. Now, think about our own day. We can all testify to the fact that over our own lifetime, we've seen our culture, our world become more wicked, more corrupt, more violent. There seems to be more of an emphasis on me, myself, and I than it does the reality of one's own spiritual condition. And Jesus says it's going to be just like that as it was in the days of Noah prior to my second coming. Now, this is an important story for many reasons, but along these lines, let me just share with you something that is relevant as an illustration to to this story. Some of you wrestle with the whole notion of God being a God who could completely wipe out the human race except for eight people. Uh, I remember years ago when we were first going through the process with the town of Leesburg to get the special exception to occupy this building. 
that um, I started developing friendships with members of the town council, members of the planning commission. And there was this one gentleman on the planning commission who was, by his own description, an agnostic. He was just, he, he didn't, he, he, he thought maybe there was a God, but he didn't really totally believe in God, certainly didn't believe in Jesus. And, every, and as a result of the interactions I had with planning commission town council, he would often seek me out. And he would just, he was a southern gentleman, and so he would always refer to me as Reverend Gary. Reverend Gary, he'd call me. He'd say, can I just come by and see with you? I just, I need to understand a little bit more about what you know in the Bible. And, and so every once in a while, he would just drop by the church here unannounced. And I would spend hours with this guy. You know the one story that he struggled with? The hindrance in his faith was the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. And he, here's the reason why. He said to me, Reverend Gary, I just have a hard time embracing a God who would destroy the human race like that. He says, a loving God wouldn't do something like that. I said to him, you need to turn the perspective and look at the other angle. I said, here's the real question you need to be asking. How is it possible that a loving God could be so patient for 1,600 years could forewarn people for 120 years, could design an ark as a vessel that they could be rescued through, and yet only eight people decide to climb on board. You talk about tragedy. God in His patience has provided a vessel to rescue people, but people in their obstinance have refused to believe in a gracious God, and they suffered and died by their own choice. Because they have rebuffed and they have refused to accept the gracious provision of God. He left my office that day and he said, Reverend Gary, you've given me something to think about. He walked out my office. He was later that same week campaigning in downtown Leesburg and he dropped dead on the sidewalk. And I got word of his death. And I think to myself even today, I hope, I hope that when he left here and chewed on it some more, he turned his heart to a gracious God who made provision for all of us through Jesus Christ on the cross. For some of you, this is your hindrance. You look at a story like Noah and the ark and the flood and God wiping out humanity like this except for eight people, and you consider even God in your own mind as a God who is not fair, and you think about how could a loving God do this? How could a loving God allow that? Let me just say to you, the Bible says in Matthew 25, 41, that the fires of hell were designed for the devil and his angels, for the fallen angels, for demons. God did not design hell for humanity. Did you know that? People end up going to hell. They join the devil and the fallen angels because they stubbornly refuse to accept the gracious provision of God. It's the same in our day as it was in the days of Noah. God provides gracious provision. It's an ark. What has God provided for us today? The gracious provision of His Son who dies on a cross for our sins. But people want to instead rationalize in their mind, well, if God would make more sense to me because I don't think He's fair, how could God send people to... How could God do this? How? Listen to me. You do not want the fairness of God. The fairness of God would be that all of us deserve hell. It is God in His grace and in His mercy that, have, that has provided for us forgiveness of sins, provided for us eternal life through faith in what Jesus did. That is God's grace. That's not His fairness. That's His grace. People always want justice for the other guy, not for myself. <laughs> 
I want God's mercy. I want God's grace. I want His forgiveness. And God has made it possible through faith. This has been another edition of Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. It's our prayer that this message from the book of Genesis taught by Pastor Gary was a blessing to you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to listen to or watch more messages, you can access all the messages you hear in this broadcast by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll find our entire teaching library covering Genesis to Revelation. If you'd like to add today's teaching to your personal study library, you can do so by logging on to cornerstoneconnection.cc where you'll find Pastor Gary's message available as a free download. The easiest way to obtain today's study is to subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing is simple when you use programs such as iTunes. The podcast is always current and completely free. When you subscribe, you'll always be up to date with the latest messages from Pastor Gary. Again, for more information about our podcast, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study with Pastor Gary's teaching through the book of Genesis. That's next time on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.